What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the channel. You're in store for a great Q&A today. Today, we talked about all sorts of things. It was supposed to be about practice. We talked a little bit about practice, but I showed a couple of new mouthpieces I'm testing out. We talked about kind of some do's and don'ts of moving to New York and why it's important, I think, to still be a jazz musician and move to New York, uh, among many other questions. As always, kind of go down to the description below if you're on YouTube watching this and check out the time codes, you can click on the questions that you find most relevant and um, leave leave us a note, leave us a question for next week's episode. I uh, would love to get to that. I try to collect them throughout the week and then get them all into the show. So we'll be back again next week. Thanks for watching and uh, we'll see you in the next video. Uh, we're going to talk about a couple things and do some practicing, I think. Uh, kind of do some shedding, what I've been shedding, kind of things to think about when I'm shedding. Um, trying to do uh, a variety of things on the live stream this year. So we're going to try to do that next week. I'm really excited. We're going to have a special guest on the live stream next week uh, from Marcinkowitz Mouthpieces. And we're going to have a big announcement next week uh, that uh, I'll let you wait for that. But uh, yeah, we're, Marcinkowitz is going to come. They're going to be, uh, Graham is uh, the guy's name, and he's going to be coming, and he's going to uh, let us know about... Uh, what's happening kind of over there at Marcinkowitz and some things that are coming up. So this is going to be super cool. I want to give maybe a preview of what it is. Uh, I've got a couple of goodies right here. Um, I'll give you a preview of that today. Okay, so the first thing is, uh, so Chris asked if there's a new camera. Yes, I got a new camera. Started using it a couple of weeks ago. Well, actually, no, it's not a new camera. It's a new lens, new setup. New setup, still kind of getting used to everything. So if there's a little audio glitches or whatever, that's why. Still trying to get everything synced up. It's a lot of moving parts. If there's anything that you should try to learn is uh, how to do a live stream potentially and how to uh, manage all of the technology that goes into a live stream. So I just got done with a great master class from the University of Georgia, which is super cool. Josh Bynum students there, trombone students, as well as the jazz program. So thanks to them for having me. That was super fun. We talked about this Create, connect, repeat, if you can read it, my little poster back here. Uh, we talked about create, connect, repeat, and kind of all of the things that I think about in terms of developing a career, a brand, content, all of it kind of fits under this one heading of, of uh, create, connect, repeat. It's both a YouTube show and it's the name of the talks that I like to give, talking about music business, entrepreneurship, and building a brand and building your music career. So hope that that might be interesting to some of you. There's some videos on YouTube about that. But first thing is, does anybody need some Edwards lead pipes? So I know there's some people here and this will be some people watching in the future. Um, I have these. These are the three stock ones that come with a 508 slide. If anybody wants to buy them, uh, let me know. Send me a DM or an email or something with an offer for how much you think that they're worth. They don't fit in my um, trombone. They're not useful to me. So uh, if you want to check them out, check them out. Let me know what you think they're worth. I'm trying to get rid of them. So three Edwards lead pipes. Really exciting, I know. Do you have recommendations for affordable capture cards? Um, do I have recommendations? I Elgato is the company that makes some good ones. I used this one for a while. You can't read it. Okay, here we go. Uh, HD60S, because this was the only thing in stock when uh, it went. This is not the best one. This is just the one that was in stock in March. Um, so I bought this one, the Elgato 4K Cam Link is the, the kind of the standard, but uh, now I have this. So this is a ATEM Mini, and ATEM Mini is a, um, a switcher. So now I don't have enough cameras 
yet, but I was, you know, slowly upgrading and buying more equipment. So now I can integrate an actual mixer, microphones, the cam the cameras, all with this the switcher. So I've got the switcher. It's more expensive than the ATEM. That Elgato other one is uh, also good. But the thing you have to contend with in all situations, mostly the lag, the latency between the camera and the audio being different. There's some software solutions and there's hardware solutions. Um, the best hardware solution is to run your audio into the camera and then the camera into the computer. But I remembered that I actually broke the input on my camera. So I, it's, I got to get a new camera at some point to fix that. But if you could go back in time and stop yourself from one professional mistake, would you? And what would you try to fix? Oh, what a question, DJ. Oh, what would I go back uh, and, and fix? A professional situation. I've only stormed off the bandstand one time and I was okay with why. So that one doesn't bother me too much. But um, being nervous, man, you know, like I, if I could go back and like just not be nervous about different opportunities, I would definitely do that. I would uh, try to be less, a little bit less in my own head, you know, about projects and a little bit less in my own head about what I need to do and just kind of be a little bit more and hang a little bit more. I mean, I was I was hanging all the time in New York when there was when I had gigs, but then sometimes there would be times like I lived two blocks from Smoke, right? And so like my heroes were playing at Smoke and I would just be at home and I like didn't go as much as I went plenty of times, but like I should have gone more probably. Uh and the mistake is just like trying to actually have like playing goals about who you want to play with, you know. Anytime that I did set my mind to someone, I've been able to do it and kind of figure out what I need to do in order to make it happen. But not being like big enough or like taking it to heart enough maybe and like actually going and like learning all of someone's music and really trying to go and play with them. Uh, that's something I'm still trying to work through. And that's what I'm working on this week because I want to play with Chick Korea, And so I've been learning some of Chick's music. So I've been digging back through some of Chick's, Chick's music this week. I was working on his tune called Bud Powell. That's what I've, that's what I've been working on this week. Uh, Brian from YouTube, he says, how do you go about absorbing and remembering music when you check out a new album for the first time? Well, if it's worth remembering, I definitely have to listen to it more than one time. That's for sure. I'm not able to internalize everything like in one day, you know, like in one listen. Um, it's just repeated listening, you know, in terms of remembering it, in terms of like learning it, I got to get the horn out. I got to sit at the piano. I got to play along. That's what I do. I play along with records. Um, I never used to, but now more and more and more over the last three, four years, I'm just play along with the records, man. And like, I, I would like learn solos and play them with the records, but just like play along the records, kind of solo over the top of whoever's soloing and like, just kind of go with the flow in that way and really make it happen. Kapanos, what was difficult about starting a career in a New York? And what would you approach starting a career in New York once the pandemic is over? Um, yeah, the um, the difficult thing about making a career in New York is that it's really expensive to live there and jazz music pays very little money. So there's definitely like, for some reason, people have a stigma about like having a day job or something. You have to figure out like how to make it work for you, you know, like that's the hardest part, making it work and like getting out there and playing rehearsals and just saying yes to everything and going to everything and really having a musical point of view. That's why I really um, encourage people if they want to move to New York, a great way to do it is if you're going to school, going to go to school anyway, to try to go to school in New York, because you, you can um, absorb some of that time of breaking in while you're in school. 
you know, that's what I did. I had a year and a half at Juilliard. Well, two, you know, technically two years of school, but it really calendar wise is only like 18, 19 months, you know, um, it had that whole time to like break into the scene and like get my feet wet and figure out what I was going to do and who I was going to play with and go and meet people and use your networks. You know, that's what you have to do. You have to use your networks. You have to know what kind of work is going to make you money and what kind of work is going to be for fun. Like playing at smalls does not make you a lot of money. It's for fun. You know, playing uh, Broadway shows is for making money. It can be fun also, but it's like, that's where you go to like make money and you have to have a balance of gigs where you're making money, teaching everything and just being open to everything and being comfortable with how long it might take. You know, people told me it was going to take seven years to break in in New York. They were right. They were right. And, uh, it's just one thing at a time, you know, you never know where, you never know where you're going to get that great recommendation from, you know? So you got to be giving your best all the time, making sure that you're, really showing up for every gig, you know, like on time. Uh, would you rather collab with Stephen Feifke or Alexa? I collab with both of them. I've collabed with both of them. I just edited a video with Alexa this morning. Uh, I'm releasing Stephen's album. Uh, a single came out today. See, yeah, so Stephen Feifke, his single came out today. From DJ, going off the New York question, how do you sell yourself to people who don't know you in a way it doesn't make you seem full of yourself or desperate. Yeah, you got to show up. You got to show up for the people that you know and have them recommend you. You have to um, like tell all of the people that you know, like I'm available to do rehearsals. Basically, um, that's what you have to do. You have to go and show up because like big bands always need subs, right? That's like the great way. There's reading bands that rehearse at the Union in New York every week or at least regularly. And um just start playing in big bands to meet other trombone players who will then recommend you. So you don't have to do anything except show up, tell people you're available, tell all the UNT people, you know, DJ, when you get there, like, this is what I, I'm available. I'm free. I'm free to do this. I'm free to sub for you, sub for them for free. Don't ask for money. Just go. And that's what I did. Everyone, every person I could think of, uh, I'm free. I'd be happy to go. I'd be happy to go and then go and do a good job. You know, be cool, do a good job, and, that, and that'll get you started, you know. And one thing leads to the next, which leads to the next, which leads to the next, and that's how you do it, for sure. I just wanted to say your album here now is a favorite of mine. Thanks for your music and sharing your knowledge. Hey, man, Andrew, thanks for hanging out. Appreciate it, man. I'm glad you dig the record. It's a, one of my favorites, too. Here and Now is a good one. It was very, um, yeah, it was like, kind of like a, tur a turning point for me, just like go for it kind of thing. It was kind of, kind of, maybe some of the first two records were a little bit, timid and that one was like this is me bam and i really really love that duke ellington composition on there single pedal, pedal of a rose i love that arrangement i wish i could play it more but what are you gonna do can't always get what you want in this world how do you practice voice leading oh that is a really good question okay so there are a couple ways to practice voice leading number one play the piano <laughs> number one is play the piano and uh learn thirds and sevenths and how they connect together that's all you got to do root third and seventh root, third, seventh, and then play through tunes, you know? Uh, my very first lesson with Wycliffe Gordon when I was in high school, he I went to his apartment, and what did he ask me to do? Accompany him on all the things you are. He's like, yeah, just play roots and third and sevenths. It's fine. And I was like, uh, and I couldn't do it, right? Uh, so just that is enough to kind of start your journey on voice leading. And then the next step is to start playing voice leading on your trombone. So just playing what I like to say is counterpoint with the bass, right? So we say note against note counterpoint. That means one note per chord, improvise counterpoint against the bass using the voice loading. You know, the thirds connect to the sevenths, the sevenths connect to the thirds, but there's other ones too. You know, as you go, you'll start to hear 
different voice leading that will occur. So that's one way. The next way is uh, even more than that to really understand harmony and theory and really think about things in terms of modes, in terms of extensions and how like triads might move that aren't like the root triad. For example, let's take like a, a two five and E flat major. Like so you get F minor. And so the upper structure of that is C minor, right? Of F minor, you get C, E flat and G gives you a natural nine. And then if I say, okay, if I take that and I move it down, on B flat seven, I go C minor, and then I can play F sharp, E flat, and C, a diminished triad instead of a instead of a minor triad, and all of a sudden I have the voice leading of nine connecting to flat nine, and then nine again on the E flat. So there's other voice leading that other than the thirds and the sevenths. So you got to kind of explore it. Um, but voice leading is everything. Voice leading is why I love Duke Ellington. It's why I love his music because the voice, the lines are what creates the voice leading. So we were checking out um, Jerry Mulligan's Line for Lions at UNT this week with my students, kind of thinking about this exact thing. It's counterpoint. It's notes against the bass. And so you have to investigate. You have to use your ears. Your ears will tell you what sounds good, but you have to take the time to investigate it and put it so high you can play any notes you want if you voice lead well in and out of those notes so it's so important it's so interesting and i love it <laughs> building my career from europe who what needs to oh so you're looking for awareness in new york and you're in europe man if you're killing and you're putting up great stuff meaning records videos interacting with players on social media building an audience connecting with fans you can build up a bigger audience than any of us in the US have. I mean, that's the thing. That's the thing that jazz musicians don't want to do is they don't want to build an audience. They want to get plugged into the, the scene. They want to just get plugged in like, oh, here you go. Here's the gig. Here, play at Jazz Lincoln Center. Here, play at the Blue Note. And that's how you think you build audience. That's not how you build audience. You build audience one person at a time through doing things like this, talking to people, interacting with them, sharing your music, sharing different ways of thinking, all of that kind of stuff. Like it's not one thing that makes or breaks you. You can be anywhere, man. You don't even have to be in New York anymore. I think it's important to be in New York at some point because I think the drummers play a different way there and it gives you a sense of like real jazz time and feel and it, it's important, I think, to go. But like in terms of launching your career or building an audience, you can be anywhere at this point. You could be in Antarctica and it wouldn't matter as long as you were aware of when your audience was awake and you could connect with them, you know? So Simon, I think if you want to build awareness, you're doing the right thing, showing up, talking to trombone players. So now I know who you are. Maybe we'll connect on Clubhouse or whatever. But anyway, I mean, I think you should go to New York at some point just to meet some people probably. Obviously not right now, but you know, get, get over there so people know who you are. You know, there's tons of players in Europe that, you know, are great. And there's nothing to do with geography. One is better than the other, you know? How does the L.A. music scene compare and contrast with the New York scene? I don't know because I've never lived in L.A., so I couldn't uh, really speak to that. I've asked other people the question, that question before. Um, you know, L.A. is so what I always hear is that there's not as much community um, because everything is spread out there. New York is so compact. Everyone's on the train. Everyone's close together I can go to smalls and hang out and you can like have a gig and then come back and like hang and all this kind of thing so the community aspect i think is a little bit different the lifestyle is different too you know like an east coast lifestyle is different than a west coast lifestyle it's just different it's a different speed 
it's different priorities. Whether it's good or bad, I'm not judging, but I'm just saying like it's just a fact. It is different. That's for sure. All right, Brian Soy says, thoughts on military jazz bands. Jazz blah, 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 blah. My best, one of my best friends in the whole world is in the Airmen of Note now. His name's Chris Ziemba. He's the pianist now. Yeah, we've grown up together, man. We were in high school band together. Not high school band, but we were in a band in high school together. Uh, the Eastman Community Jazz, what was it? E-Y-J-O, Eastman Youth Jazz Orchestra. The, so yeah, um, it's not my cup of tea because I don't want to be in the military. That's just me, but it is not it's like bad. I mean, it's a great way to just play music for your life, you know? Um, some of those bands play in a style that I don't really dig, but that doesn't mean it's bad. Uh, it, I mean, if it was my big band, it would sound different than that, but that doesn't mean that it's not good. So I don't know. I just have never done it. One of my students is auditioning for the Falcon Airs, maybe. He's going for that soon. And I know I've had other students that we've, you know, prepped those auditions. And um, it's a great process to go through to prep for those auditions. They always choose really hard music. And it's a great, it's always great to have like goals, you know, goals, things to work on, things to shoot for. And that's one of those things. That's for sure is trying to win one of those jobs. That's hard, man. Uh, another good friend of mine, Javier Nero, just got a job with the U.S. Army Blues. It's great, man. He's at basic now, I think. Still, I haven't heard from him, so I think he's he must still be at basic training. Uh, I've been playing the same mouthpiece since 10th grade. And that's a Mercinkowitz CES, 6ES, sorry. Um, this is not the same exact one that I played since then, but uh, it is similarly worn. I think I've had three of them. So I'll play a couple. No, I'm going to do this. I'll play like one A section on this mouthpiece. And then I've got a couple others. So you guys can let me know if you think these sound any better. I'm not saying that I'm going to 100% listen to what you say. <laughs> but I would love to get your opinion and hear what people think through. Just because I, I only say that because, you know, when it's through a live stream, through your phone, and it's like, is that really how it sounds? Probably not. But, okay, so I'm telling you what we're going to kind of a preview of what's going to happen next week. So uh, we're going to be talking with Marcinkowitz, Graham from Marcinkowitz, and uh, he's going to give you some info about the mouthpieces, number one, which is going to be great. But number two, uh, we're actually working on figuring out kind of some customizations to this mouthpiece, which is kind of cool, which I think I might be into because usually I don't like changing. So this is a new 6ES, uh, and the, the, there's also a 6E. But this, the S is the back bore, so it's got a bigger back bore. Um, but what I like about these mouthpieces is that they're lightweight and give fast fast response um, and are not bright. Um, those are things I like about it. But so anyway, so I tried a bunch. They sent me like 15 mouthpieces, and I've been trying all different ones. And Graham will tell you all about those next week. But then they then he was like, you know what would happen? Because I did a, some experimenting and failed miserably with like getting custom mouthpieces made. But so anyway, they uh, made me two prototypes here. So this is one with their symphony, like weight, like extra weight, symphonic, or what do they call it? Concert hall, sorry, concert hall. And then uh, also this one, which is a different rim shape uh, than my normal one. I'm gonna play, uh, someone wants me to play Stella by Starlight. So I'll blow through the changes of Stella by Starlight for a second here. So let me, I gotta mute this talking microphone so you can just hear the trombone. But yeah, so I'm going to play this, and then I'm going to play this one. So this one's number two. So if you're following along live now, this is number two, and then this is number three. And so I want you to vote. Number one is just my regular one, and voting for number one is totally fine. 
by the way. Voting for number one is totally fine. Uh, in terms of which one you think sounds the best, Stella. Stella and a couple mouthpieces there. So anyway, I'm still trying to get used to them. I'm enjoying using the blue scale. How far can a person get away with using the blue scale with the major thrown in three to my ear? Okay, uh, well, I'm going to, it's kind of, sorry, Dr. B, I'm gonna kind of rail against the use of the blue scale because the blue scale is one color and it's not one that I would um, encourage you to overuse. And that's the one like on B-flat blues using a B-flat blues scale. However, if you use a G blues scale on a B-flat blues, you end up with more notes that are in the key and still sounds bluesy. So check this out. So if I go ahead and I play like B-flat blues with the B-flat blues scale, it sounds like this. (laughs) 
which is cool. However, and also threw in the major third, just like you mentioned, throwing in the major third on that, that chord. But it's kind of all the notes are outside of the key. So if you hear it as it sits against the chords, the all almost all of those notes, like E flat, E natural, D flat, none of them are chord tones. So it gives a very strong and strident sound. And nothing wrong with that sound, but it can be very quickly and easily overused. So I encourage you to have you know, multiple versions that you might use of the blues scale. So on B flat, instead of doing that, B flat blues scale, I would say, oh, what if we use a G blues scale? So check this out. So now you get bluesy sounding vocabulary. However, it's actually more in the key because the G is in the key, the B flat, the C, the D flat is still that blue note. And then you get the major third and you get the F. Some people call it like Kansas City blue scale, something like that. But um, that's my, my first rant when I go to a, um, a high school and all the kids are using the B flat blue scale. I say, OK, that's great. But what about this other blue scale that also sounds good? And then you can hear the change between B flat and E flat and the two five ones and actually hear the harmony. You know, another rant I could go on, but I won't, is the fact that like everyone starts with the blues in jazz in terms of where um, education begins. But it's like jet the the blues is the exception to all the rules of harmony. So starting with it doesn't always make a lot of sense. It does in the sense that you can really quickly get people playing and improvising fast over it by saying, just use the B5 blues scale, which is true. Uh, and is a good way to get people playing. But other tunes like So What or any modal tune, you can use a major scale and get the same effect. So this is something we do at my nonprofit, the Institute for Creative Music. When we do uh, workshops, we've gone all over the country to do these kind of workshops where we're trying to get students from all backgrounds to be improvising. And so we'll get a bunch of classical clarinet players to be improvising over Radiohead tunes or something like this. So, so what are you guys practicing this week? I, I, like I was saying, I'm trying to hold myself accountable to uh, my goal of trying to play with some more musicians that I love. And uh, so one of those people for me is Chick Corea. So I've been working on that tune that I was talking about, Bud Powell. So I've been working on that. So at any rate, I've been learning this tune and it's really interesting to kind of contrast and like hear Chick play. There's this whole record called uh, Remembering Bud Powell with Joshua Redman, Kenny Garrett, Christian McBride, and Chick, obviously, and Roy Haynes, and they play a lot of his tunes, but they also play like inspired tunes inspired by Bud Powell, like this tune, Bud Powell. And Bud Powell, I feel like, is maybe underrepresented, uh, at least in jazz education, sometimes. It's, it's always dependent on who, who the person is, of course, that the, te the teacher, I mean, but it's always um, interesting to see that like Bud Powell gets left out. In my opinion, his tunes are really, really good for learning vocabulary and for just playing bebop in an authentic way. And he plays such killing lines, uh, but people, you know, rightfully so focus on Dizzy and Bird and Monk. But uh, what I wanted to say was that it's really interesting to hear Chick because Chick's got an interesting combination of Bud and Monk when he plays these type of tunes, which is like in the bebop style. And, and he plays a lot of like, you know, a lot of flat five dominant chords 
but it's really interesting, man. Super interesting. Not doing a lot of shedding right now. I recently got the Mark Levine jazz piano book you've talked about. Yeah, man, that's a pretty good, it's a good start on the piano. Dr. B going back to the blue scale for why he wants more, more ranting. Uh, <laughs> it's totally cool. I'm glad to answer. Um, he says, say E minor over a G major song. No, that's definitely how you can use it. That's definitely how to use it. I would not play G blue scale over a G major song. I would play E. I don't make a difference between like a minor blue scale and a blue scale. It's all the same. Same with pentatonic. To me, no such thing as a minor pentatonic. You're playing the pentatonic from a different note. It's still the same five notes to me. People can kind of think about it however they want. Or they can think about minor. Because so, when some people say minor pentatonic, they say A, C, D, E, G. Some people, when they say minor pentatonic, mean a, B, C, E, F sharp, right? So it's like a very unclear terminology to me. But, and I don't know. But in any key, in a major key, if you play the pentatonic or the blues scale starting from the relative minor, so in the key of G major playing E blues scale, you get some nice um, blue notes, some nice vocabulary that way, that's for sure. Um, but I wouldn't play G blues scale over G major. It's not gonna sound awesome. Brian says, do you think people can get started on composition through studying scores and listening a lot, even if you don't know how much actual composition theory? Yes, I do. I think you don't need to study scores even to do composition, because to me, the idea of composition, you're doing it already. If you're improvising, you're composing, you know, so all you're doing is composing your improvisations out of time. So if you've never composed before and you want to get better at improvising, start composing melodies. So you, you write melodies and then that starts to inform like, okay, so how do I figure out what harmonies goes with this? And then if you look at just lead sheets and see like, oh, you know, what chord tones usually does melodies land on or start on? It can give you some context, but you just got to write or just sing and then transcribe what you're singing out of your phone. Uh, don't even worry about bar lines. Just, just write and just do it. Cause it, and then if you can get a mentor, a teacher, somebody you can bring it to and say like, okay, I think this is what I mean. Like, I think this goes together. I think this is going to be good, but have them help you find like, what are the changes? What do, what did you mean? You know, like you might have D minor seven, for example, over F. That's something that happened this week with a student. He wrote C D minor seven over F. And I was like, well, that's just D major, right? Or that's just F major because you're playing D, a D minor seven voicing D F A C E over F. Those are all the same notes. So it's just F major. So having someone that can kind of give you those little types of things can get you going. But yeah, just write melodies. Brian says write some contrafacts over familiar tunes. That's a good way to go about it. I say I have kind of a sequence in my virtual studio, a composition sequence. Um, where we start with blues and write different kinds of blues. We listen to different types of blues tunes and write riff blues like uh, Sunny Moon for Two. Some, a tune where it repeats three times. And then we write like a jazz blues. And then we write a, like maybe like a bebop blues where it's a, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. So you might write like an AAB blues or then you might write one that's more like Sandu or something like that. That's more through composed 12 bars. And then you might move on to writing a riffy rhythm changes. And then you might write uh, a more of a melodic rhythm changes like I got rhythm and then we might go back and write more of like a bebop line over a blues and then a bebop line over rhythm changes and then we might go to a songbook tune like Brian was suggesting so that you don't have to worry about the harmony so much you can just start composing just write stuff you know so I mean there's always going to be a huge pile of stuff that never gets played for everything that you, of well, you just have to start writing 
So you don't got to study scores. It's always helpful. Score study is even more important when you start to study like orchestration and things where you're trying to get ideas about like, how do I voice this? Or like, how do I, how do I make this, um, this chord sound good? That I feel like takes a little bit more, um, directed study, but just the act of composing just means you just got to compose. Just like if you want to write, you got to write, write a book, you got to write, 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 write music, write, 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 and just go, you know, find what works for you. Some people like to write into the computer, into Logic or into GarageBand or whatever. And some people like to write by hand. I like to write by hand or, and then, then sing things in and then I orchestrate in the computer. How do we become legendary musicians like you asking for <laughs> trying to share what's in my brain, you know, like with music? I just, I want to make records and all that kind of thing. So I don't know. You just keep on going is really the answer. It's a game of attrition out here. A lot, there's a, a lot of people I went to school with that maybe aren't playing anymore, you know, but it's also a game of limited opportunities. And if you don't set yourself up to take opportunities as they come along, you might end up having to make a choice, you know, about whether you can continue uh, playing music. You just keep on going. That's, that's part of it, you know, create a life that allows you to keep on going. Would you do a duo bone record? I love it, but I know all trombone players enjoys that sound. Um, well, DJ, I probably will uh, record. Probably I'll do that as a digital album. Talking about a little bit about strategy here in terms of jazz industry marketing strategy, because you definitely you definitely are touching on something important here that like not the audience isn't that big. So for something like a duo trombone record, you know, um, so I'll probably release it as a as a duo, a duo, a digital album so that I can just send it out to people that are interested, you know, and so that means other trombone players most likely. And some people will check it out, I'm sure, like a duo thing, but I've been writing a whole suite of, not suite, but a whole book's worth of duets that uh, I'm going to try to record to some different people. And so that should be fun. Um, but you got to find different ways, different textures. That's the important thing that I think about is like textures. What are their thoughts on transcribing other instruments apart from ours? Yeah, man, you got to do it. You got to get vocabulary from inside the tradition and outside, you know? So for me, that means transcribe some Pat Metheny, Clifford Brown. Those are two big ones for me. Michael Brecker, all kinds of things. You got to get it, but it's like, you. I went like this, right? So I started trombone, 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 trombone. And then I went, no trombone, no trombone, only other instruments, only other instruments. And then I went, wait, but JJ's killing. And I came back. And then so I try to take my students on the same journey, like deep dive, deep dive, deep dive. Okay, what do you want to do? Who, what, where, when, you know, what crazy stuff do you want to try to play? All right, let's do it. And it's like, all right, but what about the fundamentals? What about Steve Davis? What about JJ? What about Curtis? You know, it's a cycle. How much, Dr. B, how much do you practice each day? Uh, I struggle to have a regular practice session now, uh, to be honest. It's com it, compare, it compares with five to eight hours a day when I was in college. Uh, I was obsessed with making sure that I practiced every day. Obsessed. I would bring my horn on vacation. I wouldn't do anything fun until I practiced. And now I just have so many different responsibilities that um, sometimes the horn ends up taking the back seat, unfortunately, which is a drag. But um, yeah, but if I can practice, I'll practice three, four hours. That would be ideal. Um, but in college, it was like five to eight hours a day, grad school as much as I can, you know, sometimes it's at home, sometimes at school, sometimes with a practice mute, sometimes not with a practice mute, sometimes doing play alongs, transcribing, uh, doing trombone maintenance, doing basics, you know, every day, just trying to move the, the floor up a little bit, you know, question, do you have performance anxiety? If so, how do you deal with that? Um, not so much. 
when I was in middle school, I had to get over it really quick. When I was in middle school, I decided I was like a more of a singer, not a trombone player, really. Transcription, written or ear. My answer is both. I do it by ear first and then I write it down. But performing is exciting. So I would used to sing in front of large crowds when I was in middle school. And that kind of got me over my fear because that's way more um, an awkward middle school version of me was way it was way worse than like getting in front of people and playing now. But, you know, it's just important to remember that, like, people want you to sound good mostly and they want you to succeed. And it's just a matter of repetition. You have to get up in front of people and play or talk, you know, either way, play get in front of people as much as you can. My student, Jack, who's auditioning soon, he, he just, he intentionally puts himself in situations that are going to make him nervous so he can get over it, you know, host a, a mock audition so you can put yourself in a situation where you're going to have to be in front of your peers and they're going to have to like, they're going to judge you and tell you if you sounded good or not, you know? Um, so just put yourself in those situations and eventually I think you desensitize yourself and you realize it's not a, not a big deal. Okay, last question. When you were growing up, did you have many people around you who shared the same passion and investment into jazz and trombone like you did? No, no, not really. Um, my mom uh, played flute when I was, plays the flute. She was not playing when I was younger. She's playing again now, but she st started playing again when I got serious about music in high school, which was, which was great. Um, but nobody was into jazz. Um, for me, I just fell in love with it in 10th grade, uh, playing Ellington's music. And it took me on a path I didn't know about necessarily. And I also met Wycliffe Gordon around that time. And he, he came to Rochester. I happened to be in a, in a place where, you know, he came and got to, you know, meet him and get some in, encouragement. And then, um, yeah, I, but no, there wasn't a large amount of jazz. I mean, I was pretty nerdy so like whatever I wanted to get into I would kind of just get into it deep into it and so once that started then that was like what I was about you know just it was just trombone first though it was definitely just trombone first and then jazz came later yeah Israel montage grill that's right that's where it was you probably were there I just found recently a picture I'll have to share it I don't it must be at school maybe I did my mom found it maybe and sent it to me there's a picture of from that that night yeah i figured you were there anyway so that that was a, a kind of a turning point i don't know if it was good or bad that's the, that's the story of uh growing up with not a lot of uh jazz around and then you know israel was really important too in my development as a jazz trombonist i got to eastman i couldn't play a darn thing and uh israel was finishing his doctorate he was i I don't I think that's what you were doing, finishing your doctorate, doctorate. And he directed the um, jazz trombone ensemble there. I think it was still called Bionic Bones then, right? Isria put me in my place more than one time, which was 100% necessary and it kicked my butt. At least that's how I remember it. But uh, I just, yeah, it was good. Oh, was it Masters? Okay. Isria is very important in helping me get my stuff together, just like making me realize how much I did not have together. And I think that's really important to have in your life as someone who will be honest and tell you when it's not together. Exactly. Here it is. He says, all love. That's because that's what it is. It's like, yes, he's being honest. You need to get it together. So thank you. Anyway, I got to run, but it's been fantastic to talk with everyone today. Thank you for being on. We'll be back next week. We'll be talking with Graham from Marcinkowitz and uh, probably doing some playing like we did today, briefly. I know it kind of just uh, mostly talking today, but uh, I'm glad everyone, uh, could be here 
and uh, we'll see you next week.